Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Unfortunately, we start off today with some... Well, distressing and disturbing news out of Waukesha, if you've been following all morning, what apparently happened is a high school student apparently brought a gun to Waukesha South High School. We don't know all the details yet, but the statements are pretty clear. Apparently what happened is the person brought the gun to the school. Um, People saw that he had the gun. And then what happened is classes emptied, a number of the the students and their teachers did what they're supposed to do, shelter in place. There is a school resource officer at Waukesha South who apparently armed him while while armed himself confronted the kid, the young man who brought the firearm to the school. At some point in time, we don't know all the details yet, shots were exchanged, and a number of the reports are suggesting that the person who brought the firearm to school, the, the kid, was um, removed in an ambulance. Um, so that that's it. Gunshots exchanged between a student and a school resource officer inside Waukesha South High School. Authorities are now saying the threat is over. They do not believe that it was anything larger than that, and I'm not downplaying that. School has been called off. Buses are coming. Kids are going home. So <clears throat> you have a situation where horrifying situation but at the end of the day apparently all's well that ends well to the extent that you do not have any students or teachers who were injured to the extent that there was an injury it appears to only be the young man who brought the firearm to school so that that's essentially what we know thus far there will be more statements coming out you know, more details, I, I, I'm sure, as the afternoon progresses. So we'll continue to keep you updated on that. But this does raise one of these interesting issues, and that's where I want to start the program off with today. In Madison, there has been a huge movement afoot by a number of people in the community to remove school resource officers from the Madison School District. The argument goes essentially that, well, you know, the police are in some respects like an occupying force, and we don't want the students to be upset by the fact that there are police in in the facility. You know, we don't want to treat the schools like it's an armed camp, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's been a, a large segment of the community in Madison that's been pushing to remove school resource officers, that would be, you know, police officers from the high schools. So far, that has fallen on deaf ears. In this particular situation, 
again, as I said earlier, it, it, it's an all's well that ends well situation to the extent that you don't have students injured, you don't have teachers injured, you don't have custodians injured. You the, the, the situation was controlled. And I don't think there's any question that one of the main reasons why it was controlled is the fact that you had a school resource officer on the premises who was armed and was in a position to confront the student who brought the gun to school. As a result of that confrontation, student is in custody, building is safe and secure, and nobody nobody has been hurt other than apparently the kid who brought the firearm to school. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I cannot think of more compelling evidence than this for why it is completely and totally appropriate to have school resource officers, sworn law enforcement personnel on the premises so they're in a position where they can quickly respond to a situation like this if it happens, confront the person who has the firearm, and ultimately defuse and or disarm the situation. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, who, who knows you know, what, what could have happened in a situation like this? Who knows what the intent of the student who brought the firearm to school was? But in this particular case, one of the things we know at the outset is because you had an armed police presence, the, the situation was over much more quickly than it otherwise would have been. Isn't this compelling example number one about why, at least I don't care how you feel about arming teachers or things like that, but isn't this a classic example of why it is so important and such a good use of money to have, again, school resource officers who are trained and in a position to confront situations like this. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And for everybody who says, oh, well, we, we don't need guns in schools, or, you know, the police are, are the enemy, and, you know, we, we don't want the kids to, you know, be subjected to seeing firearms. In this case, my sense is that everybody at Waukesha South High School today is lucky that there was an armed school resource officer on the scene in a position to confront the potential shooter before this got out of control. And I don't know what would have happened. Again, we we don't know. But we know that, again, all's well that ends well because the resource officer was there. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Sue. Um, This happened to me. I was a teacher. This was probably eight years ago. And um, one of my students came into class and said, um, there's a student in the locker bay and he has a gun. And I'm going, oh, my goodness gracious. So took care of it because they had a resource officer and came into the locker bay. And what this kid had done, it was a paintball gun. Right. You know, it looks very real. Right. And the kids don't know. And he had brought it to school to sell. Well, needless to say, the kid was expelled and et cetera. But it's scary, and you need them there. 
Well, well, right, because in this particular case, look, and I understand reasonable people can disagree about whether, you know, teachers should be armed because, I mean, teachers arguably aren't trained to deal with that. But when you're talking about school resource officers, that that's what they are trained to do, to Absolutely. confront these situations and, and hopefully defuse them. And again, we don't know the details, but I, I think it's pretty darn lucky, Sue, that that officer was there to confront this before a bad situation got a lot, lot worse. Yes, yes, absolutely, because it could have. And, and those guns are very real to someone who doesn't know about guns. These kids didn't know about guns, but he's showing it off. And, right. You know, oh, yeah. It was scary. It was scary for these kids. And fortunately, they came and told me right away. Right. Instead oh. of not telling anybody, and uh, it was taken care of. But, boy, okay. it's no, thanks to call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And for everybody out there who says, "Well, you know, this is, don't you understand that there's, you know, some people and their families who view the police as an occupying force and believe the police are enemies." Well, okay, this is the consequence of that. I, first of all, I've always argued that having a school resource officer in a school helps normalize the the relations between people in the community and the police department. You get to see a police officer in a kind of different context, you know. When when they're in school and they're helping people out, it's not just when they're making an arrest. But but let's let's not lose sight of the fact that you know first and foremost they are there for safety and security, and it certainly seems like that is precisely what happened here. John in West Bend, John, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for having me. Hi, John. Yeah, without that resource officer, who knows how many kids could have been hurt today? Yep. Yeah, we, we we don't we don't know, but we know that the the situation was over perhaps sooner than it would have been because you had a school resource officer who was willing to do what they're supposed to do. You got to look at it this way: Would you rather have it and not need it, or need it and not have it? Yeah, and I <laughs> exactly. No, thanks for calling. I think that's what's. I think everybody t- today in Waukesha, and again, the reason I bring this up beyond just Waukesha, that this is an active debate that is going on in various communities across the state. You know, should we have police presence there? To me, it's always been a no-brainer, and the situation that happened in Waukesha it demonstrates clearly why it's a no-brainer. Dustin in Waukesha, Dustin, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for having me. Hi, Dustin. Uh, you know. I actually just, I just left Waxman South. I was up there picking up my two little cousins that attend there. And, uh, it was probably one of the scariest moments of my life. Um, you know, and I have two young children. So it's scary to even think of, you know, the world I'm bringing them up in. Um, but as I was saying before that, you know, this is a situation now. It's, it's, it's a matter of, uh, of when and not where it continues to happen. Mm-hmm. And without that resource officer being there, who knows what could have happened? Um, it, it's very important that they're there, no matter what, no matter what your opinion is. That officer saved lives today. Yep, I, I, I think I think that's the only fair thing. Now, are your are your were your cousins? They're not were at the high school. Were they at the elementary school that was shut down too? No, they were up at, at Waukesha South. Okay, they were both up there in, in two different classrooms. My one uh, cousin, um, his name is Malik. He actually heard the gunshots. He was not too far away from where it happened. Um, and I was actually at work, and it was very chaotic. I mean, mm-hmm. you weren't getting information from anybody, you know, and I flew up there as quick as I could, and I actually got up there as they were, as they were leaving with the shooter in the ambulance. Right. Um, right. Yeah, they heard it, and they were, you know, I mean, these kids were terrified. I mean, I graduated from that school myself, and I never in a million years would have thought that would happen here, and that's why I'm saying now it's a matter of 
when and not where, because it's going to happen, and we need to have you know, people there protecting our kids. A- absolutely. And it does, and absolutely. You know, we, we can talk about other things. We can talk about metal detectors in schools and things like that. And, and they, those all have a place. But the ability to intervene early with a school resource officer on the scene um, who is willing to get involved, and we're going to get more details as this comes out, but over the course of the next couple hours, but a school resource officer who's willing to intervene and stop something before it gets completely and totally out of control. Not that a high school kid bringing a gun to, you know, Waukesha South isn't out of control to start with, is just crucial. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. And again, we'll continue to keep you updated if more details emerge about the incident at Waukesha South High School. But at this point in time, it seems like the incident is over. Everything is under control. Kids are being sent home. The person who brought the firearm to school, according to police, a 17-year-old high school student, he um, is in stable condition in the hospital thanks to the timely intervention of the Waukesha Police Department. And again, at this point in time, that's all the details we know. Actually, that's probably all you really need to know at this point because everybody is safe besides the person that brought the gun to school. There were no injuries at all. Okay couple big charity things going on this week. As I just mentioned a little while ago, um, our Kids to Kids toy drive continues. We're going to have remote broadcasts on Friday from VMP Manor Park. I will be out there. In addition, John McCure will be out there. We encourage people to stop off and drop off toys. Thursday, of course, is our annual holiday radio show. Join us for the holiday radio show Thursday, December 5th at the Italian Community Center in Milwaukee's Third Ward. Great thing about the Italian Community Center is not only is it a wonderful venue, but it's free parking. Free parking. Huge parking lot right there. We are ringing in the holiday season with game shows and skits. We want you to be there. I'm starting to see the way that they they put it together. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The only way... You can get tickets. Tickets are not available at the door. So we encourage you to go to our website. That would be WTMJ.com. Now, ticket sales cut off about two days from today, about 48 hours. Noon on Wednesday, ticket sales cut off. Get your tickets now for the exclusive event at WTMJ.com. All ticket sales, and the ticket sales are $25 a piece. So it, it's it's a bargain at four times the price. All ticket sales help support Capco's Kids to Kids Toy Drive presented by WTMJ. It's the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Capri Senior Communities, the Bartolotta Restaurants, and VMP Healthcare and Community Living in West Dallas. If that were not enough, Wednesday night... This has been an event I have been pleased to be a part of for the last couple of years. Wednesday night, I'm going to be back in my old stomping grounds, Washington County. I'm going to be up at the Washington County Fairground. They call it the Taste of Washington County. It is a huge fundraising event for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Washington County, a very, very worthwhile charity. Now, the last couple of years, I was actually doing some stuff for a restaurant where I was like passing out food and all. Well, I'm not doing that this year. I'm going to be... 
and this is something that my producer grew. This is right after your own heart. Uh, they have the, the specialty bourbon that they sell, you know, uh, for charity and stuff, but it's really good. I am going to be selling charity. I am going to be selling bottles of bourbon for charity. So might end up taking home one myself as well. But if you're in the area, stop by, say hello, come on in. The tickets are available in advance. They have a number of different restaurants that are there, lots and lots of restaurants, and they've got all sorts of auction items. It's a huge event at the Waukesha County Fairground at the Waukesha, the Washington County Fairgrounds. So um, it is Wednesday night, the Taste of Washington County. And if you are participating, please stop by, buy a bottle of bourbon from me. It all goes to a good cause. All right. Black Friday has come and gone. And one of the interesting things that they are noticing is a trend has continued. And that is the number of people physically going out to stores has continued to decline. Now, it depends on, you know, where you go and what numbers you look at, but the estimates are somewhere between 5 to 10% fewer shoppers actually went physically into stores over the last couple days. And again, these these are kind of always hit and miss. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that shopping was down. As a matter of fact, what they're suggesting is maybe the number of people purchasing were actually up, but they were doing it in a different way. Instead of going to the stores and standing in line on Friday morning at 3 a.m. to you know get the best deal, more and more people are shopping online, even through some of the big retailers, whether it's Target or Walmart or Best Buy. You know, you'd order stuff online and then either have it delivered or go to the store to pick it up. So people are still buying. They are just changing their buying habits, which all leads us to today. Today, of course, is what they call Cyber Monday. So what's going on is you have Americans, thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who are logging on to their computers and their smartphones and they're, they're buying stuff. They estimate that U.S. consumers are going to be shelling out somewhere. They estimate maybe it's going to be a record. Get this, 9.4 B as in billion dollars today, up 19% from last year and that is again consistent with one of the trends that they're seeing this shopping season that shows that more and more people they're still spending money and they're still shopping but what they're doing is they're spending it online and then either having the things delivered or going to the stores to pick them up 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line today is cyber monday My question to you is this. Are you participating? Is this something, do you really believe that there's great deals out there that you're going to be able to get today that you're not going to be able to get at other times during the year? Is this a day that really says, okay, this is the day I'm going to sit down and start shopping online, or is this just kind of a a stunt to get you to spend your money, kind of like, well, sweetest day. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Cyber Monday is today. Are you going to be participating? What deal do you think that you could get today that maybe you wouldn't get elsewhere? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Today is Cyber Monday, 
And if preliminary estimates are to be believed, this is going to be one of those days. It, it might be a record-setting day as people say, okay, I don't want to necessarily go out and shop over the weekend, but now I'm going to let my fingers do my sh- the shopping. Are you in line for Cyber Monday? Don in Waterford. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Actually, I spoke to you on Black Friday, uh, or the day before, I should say, and I said I was going to avoid stores like the plague. Right. However, my tactic is going to be, I've already done some online research this morning, so I'm going to be going to retail stores this evening, and I've already got those prices locked in with those stores. Okay, and, and you were able to do that, so you, you were shopping over the Internet, you found the deals, and so now you go pick them up, huh? Yep, they're going to lock those prices in, and then um, hopefully my tactic's going to be good. I won't have to deal with a bunch of Black Friday shoppers. I can get in there, grab my items, get my right price, and get out of there and not pay shipping. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because that's one of the big deals that a lot of these retailers have been doing, exactly that, because, I mean, shipping is, is costly, you know, for the retailers. So more and more places are doing exactly what you were talking about. They're offering you incentives, like locking in your price if you buy online and then go pick it up in the stores. Um, and that's that's an advantage if you don't mind going out there, um, assume, assuming you're not going to hit big crowds. Well, you said it, Jeff, and you know another thing too. I don't even do the uh, the buy online, pick up in store. I just print out what I'm going to buy, check and see if they have it in stock, and then lock it in. Then lock it in. No, there you go. And thanks for going. I think more and more people are are doing that. I was I was actually running late this morning, but I was there, there's one thing I was thinking about buying myself an electronics item, and I was kind of playing around on the different Big Friday, the Cyber Monday type of things. And you know, I, I saw at least a couple of the items that I was looking at. You know, they were saying, "Hey, we got Cyber Monday discounts, and we're you know we're, we're charging seventy bucks less for this set of headphones. We're charging you know one hundred and fifty less for this laptop computer, and all." Now, whether I wanted enough to still pay the money i i don't exactly know but it was an interesting option that's out there jeff absolutely i'm shopping today i found a michael kors bag for my wife cheaper at macy's than on amazon and with free shipping it saves the gas to go to the store plus um online you have more variety and options and uh, you know what is in stock and what isn't i mean that's the other value okay jeff i don't see anything too special for cyber monday i'm going to take a pass uh jeff tell me about the increased number of uh, people shopping online i'm a rural carrier and packages are increasing all the time you know that's interesting too because there's a story in the wall street journal today about how all the the fulfillment places, whether it's it, it's the big places like Amazon or Target or Walmart or even some of the smaller places, how with the window again Thanksgiving being so late, so the Christmas shopping season is so limited, what they're starting to see is they're starting to see you know just more and more pressure on the delivery drivers to get stuff out, and it, it this is an ongoing battle as the as the, again, buying habits of the public changes. Jeff, I'm going to shop online today. However, to me, it just feels like any other time that I shop online. Well, that's always going to be the question. But the bottom line is Cyber Monday is today. And for people who, if, if you wonder whether or not this is something that's changing the way America shops, again, here here's the number. $9.4 billion is what they estimate will be spent on shopping today. And in November, 
the month of November, they estimate that Americans spent $68.2 billion billion online. That's up 17% from 2018. The way we are shopping is changing dramatically. And I think that's going to be like the warning shot across the bow of a lot of retailers. You got to figure out how you can, again, maximize that and recognize that, you know, more and more people are, are shopping over the internet, not necessarily shopping through Amazon. Maybe they're still going to, you know, your stores, but they want it over the internet. You got to adapt or you're going to die. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, group, producing the show today and always. You know who Pat Connaughton is? Yeah, he plays for the Bucks. Plays for the Bucks. Okay, so here's the question. Is he a complete and total idiot, or does he really hate police officers? You don't know the story. All right, well, here's the deal. I. You know, I, I just sometimes I wonder why now I, an NBA basketball player. And I understand he's not like a Giannis or something, but he's he's making good dough. There, there's no question. I got to pull up what his salary is. Have you heard of this thing called Cameo.com? You ever heard of Cameo? Uh, no. Okay, it's one of these things where what happens is if you want to get a personalized message, like if I wanted to have a celebrity send you a birthday message. I would go to Cameo.com, and I would dictate what I want the celebrity to say. So it's kind of like, you know, Ed, Ed, Ed Asner. You pick up the phone. Hi, Gru. This is Ed Asner. I'm calling to wish you a happy birthday. You know, and I, I would... I would be the one that wrote out the script. So these celebrities just completely kind of prostitute themselves, and, and they read these things, okay? And the, the way it works is that they they set a they set a percentage. So let's say... They um they, they say okay we want to charge four hundred bucks I I want I want it to cost four hundred dollars for me to record one of these things and so the deal is Cameo uh, typically pays the celebrity seventy five percent and then charges you twenty five percent so you know like so if you wanted to make three hundred dollars for your thing Cameo would charge four hundred bucks and you would get three hundred dollars that's that's typically the the way they work it so that this pet and so then the people. Apparently, just read it without thinking about it. So somebody hires Pat Connaughton of of the Bucks to read something, and apparently Pat Connaughton sits there and, and reads the script from the the customer, and the the script essentially goes on to rip police officers talking about how well you know we only support the blue when you know you're at Pfizer otherwise you know we don't support you etc etc it's this it's just this rant on cops that, that he reads and he sends off all right well not surprisingly it, it becomes public now I don't know if it was somebody who really hated cops or whether they just thought hey we, we can do this let's see whether these celebrities quote unquote will read anything that we put in front of them and in the case of Pat Connaughton, it apparently appears that, yes, he will read anything that, that they put in front of him. So he reads this anti-police message. It then becomes public that he's done it. So now he, he's backtracking. He says, I'm very sorry for the cameo video I taped the other day. I've always supported the police 100%. I have several relatives who are police officers, and I'm grateful to all the officers who protect us every day. Based off how the app works, the script I read was provided to me by a Cameo customer, and I recorded the message without doing my due diligence to find out what it meant. 
While someone with obvious bad intentions was behind the request, I should have first researched what I was being asked to read. I deeply apologize. I think we have another Wagner's rule of life, like Wagner's rule of life number 14. Yes, when, when you are given a script to read and record, yes, perhaps you should read it first and try to understand what the message is. Now, I don't think the guy's a cop hater. I just think... He was probably greedy and and more than a little bit dumb to just sit there and say, okay, they gave me a script. I'm going to read the script without critically thinking about it. Um, So he's now apologized, and I guess that's the end of it. But a a lesson to celebrities and would-be celebrities and wannabe celebrities, when, when somebody just gives you a script and tells you, we'll pay you a couple hundred dollars to read it, my advice would be take a couple minutes and read it before you record it. Pat Connaughton, Exhibit A. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so people are asking about this Pat Connaughton story. There's this app called Cameo. And what they do, if you want to have a quote-unquote celebrity send you a message, you can send the text of that to Cameo. They set a fee. The celebrity, quote-unquote, gets 75% of it. Cameo keeps 25%. And, and these celebrities, sit and they, they read these scripts. And apparently they read the scripts without thinking too much about them. And you can they do it all by their cell phone. It's not like you have to go to a studio. You can just take your cell phone and you can record it and send it out. So Pat Connaughton of, of the Bucks, here's what he writes. Hey, Thin Blue Line, have a great holiday season. He says, um, we only back you when you come to Fiserv. We don't take much overall pride in the blue. Remember, Brad, yeah, it was us. Have a blessed holiday once again. Sincerely, the team. So it's a it's a slam on the, the police, and he apparently just just read it without thinking about what he was writing. And I, I get, Pat Connaughton makes $1,723,050. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. Now, I'm a capitalist. I'm not against people making money. But but how much how much could somebody like that get? Well, the, that his fee for, you know, Cameo, 100 bucks maybe? So you're making $1.7 plus million, and you're going to be recording this type of stuff to, to send out for 50 bucks or 100 bucks or 150 bucks. I mean, like $1.7 million isn't enough. Maybe some of these celebrities should learn. And, of course, as my producer Gru pointed out, yeah, this is the same thing that happened to Brett Favre, couple years ago about it about a year ago he this group posing as a veterans organization paid him 500 bucks so okay brett Favre is getting 500 bucks so pat Connaughton probably less than that you're, you're gonna want to think all the money that Favre made and makes you're really doing this for 500 dollars. but for 500 dollars, brett Favre, brett Favre did this this speech from a group called the um uh, Goliam Defense League. You guys are patriots in my eyes, so keep waking them up and don't let the small get you down. Keep fighting, too. Don't ever forget the USS Liberty and the men and women who died that day. God bless you and take care. That That's, that's full of all sorts of anti-Semitic references, and he just reads it without researching it for 500 bucks. So I it just... Again, there's a learning lesson here for, for some of these celebrities, and I guess I'm not... Again, I'm I'm not... I'm not anti-making money, and I appreciate that you can never have too much money, I guess, but 
boy, for whatever it's worth, maybe if you're going to sign up for something like this, you should at least take the time to read and think about what it is before you just record it and then send it off and collect your check. Just just kind of saying. All right. Wednesday. Wednesday is when the latest impeachment hearings begin. What's going to happen this time is this is the first time that the Judiciary Committee and it's the House Judiciary Committee that if articles of impeachment are to be drafted, they're the ones that would actually do it. So this Wednesday, the House Judiciary Committee is going to begin with its first public hearing. They are going to feature legal experts who are all for assessments on impeachment. Um, the White House was apparently invited to have um, either the president <clears throat> or some of his lawyers have the opportunity to appear at the hearing. They have decided to pass on this. Meanwhile, you know, over the weekend, as the impeachment discussion, you know, moves now that it's going into the uh, phase where it's in the Judiciary Committee, you have a couple Democratic lawmakers who are saying that that couple congressmen who are saying they're not going to vote for impeachment. One of whom who came out was a guy named Jefferson Van Drew. He says, look, he says, I, I think, you know, the, the president's conduct He said, I I think it was um, unseemly. I think it was unsavory. But you know what? I don't think it's impeachable, and I don't think it's appropriate to do this when, you know, we're looking at an election in about 11 months. The Iowa caucuses are just a little over 60 days. So, I mean, right now you have a couple Democrats who are breaking ranks with the House leaders. There appears to be no movement at all with Republicans in the Senate. So as we discussed and have discussed in the past, what's going on now is, If they can keep enough Democrats to essentially hold the line, you will be able to return articles of impeachment. The matter will then go to the Senate where um, there's not going to be a removal from office so that we know that that's going to happen over the next 30 to 60 days. More and more people are offering the suggestion that I've been offering for about a month now, saying given the fact that impeachment is not removal is not going to happen. It's just not. Wouldn't we be best off resolving this in another fashion, for example, like a a censure, an expression by the Democrats in Congress, a formal expression saying that, you know, they are displeased with this. um, They condemn the president for the way he handled this particular phone call and then moving on to, you know, what ultimately is going to be happening, which is selecting a president next November. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, we move to the next phase on Wednesday. Let me ask this. Is this just a colossal waste of time, given the fact that people are dug in, opinions aren't going to change, you can have all the legal experts you want who will testify one way or the other about whether or not they think this particular phone call that the president made was um, an impeachable offense or not, but it's not going to change anybody's minds. You don't have a public that is united behind one course or the other. I mean, it's not like in the Watergate years where at the end of the day you had 70 or 85 percent, 75 to 80 percent of the people who thought that President Nixon should be removed from office that 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 needle has not moved despite witness after witness after witness we have a very very divided country and candidly 
I mean, the idea of going through impeachment hearings in the House and a show trial in the Senate where we know what all the results are going to be when the Iowa caucuses are 60 days away and the whole nominating process starts, to me, it's number one, fatiguing. And number two, it is a complete and total waste of time and taxpayer dollars. People will render their verdict on Donald Trump next November up or down. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to just figure out a plan B and move on instead of plowing ahead for the next 60 days for a result that we all know is really predetermined? Tim and Grafton. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good good afternoon, Jay. A couple of questions. Uh, Jeff, this whole thing has been a waste, a colossal waste of time, money, and a sham, and it's just it's time we move on. I think censure. I mean, censure, censure, censure the guy for for what? Because you don't like what he said on a transcript, and then we have hearsay mm-hmm. on something that he said. Jeff, I, I, I'm to the point now where I mean, back in I think it was 20 was it Jeff 2010? Didn't Barack Obama lean over and said, "Tell Vladimir I'll have more flexibility at my next election in yep. 2011"? Yep. Did, did anybody on the Republican side freak out and start articles of impeachment and start hearings on any? No, we didn't, Jeff, because we knew we had an election coming up, and that was our chance to get him out. They've hated this guy from day one. Yep. Jeff. This whole thing has just dragged down America, and it's very, very sad. And I think the Dems are pretty evil people. Thanks, well, buddy. Uh, thanks. Well, I mean, I, I, evil is a tough word to throw around. And, and look, and I, I've said this before, and I know some people, some of my conservative friends don't like it. I, that, that was not a perfect phone call. I think it is inappropriate for the head of the, the leader of the free world to essentially be asking another country to investigate an American citizen. I, I, so I, I don't think it was a perfect call. I don't think it's an impeachable offense. But regardless, I also live in this real world, like we say in the open. And the real world is that the dynamics, you know what's going to happen here. There, there's nothing more. We, we had two weeks of, of hearings where you had every witness imaginable who testified. And you know what? The, the, the needle did not move at all. As a matter of fact, in some swing states, if you believe the polls, if you believe the polls, people you know became even more opposed to impeachment. So why do we do this when we know what the result is going to be? Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Mark. You know, I don't think that public opinion should be the driving factor. I think the driving factor should be whether or not laws were broken, because to be quite honest, it doesn't matter if public opinion supports it or not. What should matter is the rule of law and the Constitution. And well, okay, well, let me st- that- let's, let's break. I'll, I'll let you make your point. But uh, sure, impeachment okay. is not a criminal offense. Impeachment is a political offense. I mean, he's That's he's not going to be charged with a crime one way or the other. So it's the politicians who are going to be making a political judgment as to whether he should be removed from office or not, right? Well, that's actually not accurate because once he leaves office, he very well could be charged with a crime. In fact, he could be charged with many multiple crimes if you follow the Southern District of New York. Right, uh, but we're not talking uh, about. But right, but we're not talking about what happens whether it's in January of 2021 or January of 2025. We're talking about what we do in December of 2020, uh, 2019. Exactly, and you know what? I, I think the biggest point to make is that if you don't think that we should be going through this impeachment process then that same thing is going to apply next time when there's a Democratic president who's doing something that's unscrupulous or or against the, the oath that he swore. Uh, you know, the fact that Donald Trump 
did not release the aid until he learned that there was a whistleblower. And the fact that the legal defense so far from Republicans has done nothing but shift and move the goalposts to first there there was no quid quo quid pro pro. Oh, okay, now, but let me let me but let me let me back up. Let, let me let me back sure. up. All right. Do you think there is any way in the world that you're going to get sixty seven US senators to vote to remove President Trump from office? That question depends on whether or not they want to follow their jobs and the rule of law, because the answer to that is if they were doing their job and and following the impeachment inquiry and and looking to see whether or not wrongdoing was done, then, yes, I would expect every single member of the Senate to impeach the president. Okay, but But they're not going to do that. Well, well, right. No, no, thanks. See, see, and Mark, that 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 is that is my point. I look, I I don't at this point in time, I I don't want to argue the merits of whether this is an impeachable offense or not. I, I I don't think the president committed a crime. I think this was unsavory. All right. And and I also I mean, I understand why there have been people for the last three years who thought this was an illegitimate presidency and they don't like the guy's style and they don't like the guy's policy. And so we've been kind of careening from one thing or another, trying to figure out a way to remove him. I, I get all that. At the same time, the, the reality is and again, if we live in the real world. The reality is, I think the American people have kind of thrown up their hands and set a pox on everybody's house, and you know we'll we'll render the verdict on Donald Trump next November. So I think that's one of the things that's going on. On top of that, there, there isn't a smoking gun that, that's out there. I mean, it, it's not like you know back in 1973 or 1974 where you have Alexander Butterfield testifies. Well, the reason I'm so sure about this is I listened to the tapes, and oh, oh, you got tapes of this, and, and, you know. Richard Nixon had been recording all these things, and you found that tape where two or three days after the Watergate burglary, he's clearly clued in on it, and he starts talking about paying hush money. That That's not, not there. You had day after day after day of testimony from, you know, witnesses that were on the phone call, et cetera, et cetera. I think the American people, or at least a, a good number of people, have decided this does not rise to the level of being an impeachable offense. It's just like... You know, Bill Clinton, who committed perjury, Bill Clinton committed perjury in connection, you know, with with his involvement with Monica Lewinsky. But, you know, the the American people, I think at the end of that impeachment proceeding and the removal proceeding and the trial in the Senate, Bill Clinton was more popular than ever because I think people thought that that was an overreach. And I think a lot of Republicans that were in Congress at the time would tell you that. Now, I understand that in some respects, Bill Clinton is even, believe it or not, less polarizing than Donald Trump. But at the end of the day, I've seen nothing that suggests that you're going to have any senators at all, much less, you know, uh, where there's 53 Republicans, much less 17, 18, 19 Republicans bail and decide that they're going to remove the president. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to have that smoking gun piece of evidence. And you can have these hearings where you have the legal experts say, well, I think this is an impeachable offense or I think it's not an impeachable offense. It's not going to move the needle if all the stuff we've had over the last several weeks haven't moved the needle. And I'm not condoning what President Trump did in the call. I mean, again, I'll let other people decide that. I just don't think that the American people are there and whether or not he's removed, that's going to be decided next November. Can't we just save ourselves this this kabuki dance for the next 60 days and then just kind of move on and figure out who the Democrats are going to nominate to try to take him on? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
So very glad to have you with us. Well, it is the season. People are out shopping for the holidays, and what that means is people put stuff in their cars, and that means thieves decide that they are going to try to get into your cars. There's an interesting story in the L.A. Times today about – this is just another example of how messed up California is. In California, right, if somebody breaks into your car, right, breaks into your car, they can have a video – for example, it can be caught on video of somebody taking a crowbar, busting out the window of your car and breaking in. In California, they cannot prosecute the person for for burglary, for breaking into the car, unless they can prove that the car's doors were locked. Yeah, I, I'm not making this up. You have to, you can have a video of somebody busting a window or a windshield or prying open a door, but it becomes the prosecutor's burden to prove that the car doors were locked. And if you can't prove that the car doors were locked, then what happens is it becomes a, a misdemeanor. Now here's where this really plays out because the thieves all know, they know what the rental cars are. And this has become a huge problem in L.A. and in San Francisco, and actually all up and down California, but particularly L.A. and San Francisco, because the bad guys, they know what the rental cars are. And the assumption is essentially that, you know, if, if it's a rental car, it's if it's a rental car, it's going to be driven by a tourist. So you're in San Francisco in November for the Packers game. You've rented a car. You park it on the street. Let's say you even lock your car door and somebody comes along with a crowbar and busts out the windows and comes in and steals everything that you've got in, in the car. Well, okay, even if they catch the person, which is a big even if, what are the chances that you're going to you, – you, okay, this has happened. You've been ripped off. You've turned your stuff into the insurance company. What are the chances that now, six months later, a year later, when the matter goes to trial, that you're going to be willing to fly back from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to San Francisco to testify in a trial that, yes, I locked the doors of the car before you know it was broken into? And I understand if this sounds absolutely crazy, but this is San Francisco. They've been trying to change this law as the number of break-ins has gone up dramatically, but they can't get it to move out of the very, very liberal California uh, legislature because people realize that if you make it easier to prosecute people for breaking into cars – that's going to mean more people are going to be going to jail. And the goal in California and the goal, unfortunately, in too many places is to not put criminals in jail. So you have this thing where it's essentially, and I, I do this as a lead into what I want to talk about with you, but also it's kind of a cautionary tale. If you're renting a car in San Francisco or California in general, just be aware that this is is going on, that people are busting into the cars as a way of getting into the cars, stealing everything that's in them, knowing that they're probably not going to be held accountable if they're preying on tourists. Because like I say, even if they catch the person that did it, you're not going to be coming back a year from now to testify that your cars were locked. How silly is that? It doesn't mean, however that you shouldn't be locking your car doors. And one of the things that we are seeing around here is a rash of break-ins and thefts 
because people are not locking their car doors. Greenfield Police, they have a Facebook page. They came out the other day, and their Facebook page talks about what uh, what are the numbers here? Um, a large number of break-ins in Greenfield over the last, you know, six days. 16 car break-ins during a six-day span. Every single one of the cars, according to police, was unlocked. That comes on the heels of Franklin. Okay, between, according to police logs, Franklin, between November 20th and November 21st, so, what, a week and a half ago, um, there were dot, 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 seven unlocked cars that were rummaged into, entered again in a space of, you know, 12 hours or so, um, because the vehicles were all unlocked. And, of course, what happens is, once people get into your car, they're looking not only for items that you might have in your car, but also they're looking for things like garage door openers, which might give them an opportunity to come back and to you know open your garage. And then, depending on what the setup is, if you don't lock the interior door from your garage, get into people's garages, and then you can get into their house and you're off to the races. And one of the things the police are saying is this is because people aren't locking their car doors. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, it's now mandatory when you drive your car that you have to have a lot of things. For example, you know, we have a mandatory law that says you have to, you know, have a seatbelt and you have to have your seatbelt and your shoulder harnessed engaged. That is the law. Should we similarly, in an effort to perhaps protect people from themselves, should we also have a corresponding law or an ordinance? I mean, we say right now you can't leave your car unattended and running because crime is so out of control around here that if you do that in the winter, you're trying to warm it up, people are going to come along and they're going to steal it out of your driveway or from in front of your house. Should we now pass a law? Do we need ordinances that say that it is mandatory that when you leave your car, it should be locked? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let me just say this. I, I think it is clearly good policy to, to do that. And for me, I like to think it's just automatic. The last thing I do when I'm exiting my car is I hit the button and it automatically locks all the car doors. I do it. Now, that's not a guarantee that the car is not going to be broken into because somebody can come along with a crowbar or a baseball bat and they can knock out the window and they can get in. But it does, I think, create a little bit of a deterrent if the car doors are locked. Should we require people to lock their car doors or is that going too far? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am very conflicted about this. I will explain that conflict in just a minute. But what do you think? Should the law require us to lock our car doors? And if you don't and your car gets broken into, should you get a ticket? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, tis the season. A lot of local police departments are reporting more and more auto, more and more thefts from cars. One of the common characteristics is that the cars are left unlocked. So the question becomes, 
right? It, maybe it's good policy, but should we require, should we have ordinances just like we say, hey, you can't leave your car running when it's cold? Should we have ordinances requiring people to leave the cars locked? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tom in Greenfield. Hi, Tom. How you doing there, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Should we make people lock their cars? Yes, we should. Just like we uh, with garages and everything else, just think if we'd uh, do all that type of stuff, our insurance rates would go on down, and we'd get rid of half these insurance companies. We'd have more money in our pockets. And isn't that more? Isn't that fun that you could be able to go on out more times? Uh, if you got more money in your pocket, you'd be able to do things. Well, let me ask you. Raise an interesting point, Tom. Let me ask this: Do you think people then should be required to lock their doors? Should everybody be required to lock their front door, for example, when they're home? Yeah. Why not? Because mm-hmm. uh, that, that way you're going to keep you're going to keep all the intruders out. I think uh, in some neighborhoods you should have that. Are, are we going to go uh, to bars and um, all this other stuff and be a, a jail? Or we're going to lock ourselves in that type of way that we're not going to do? No, but we should be able to lock our houses and our property and that so that people ain't going to steal it. Well, thank, I guess I see that this is I see and this is the, the this is the conflict that that I have because. Where do where do we draw the line? Do do I think it's good policy to lock your car if it's in your driveway, or certainly lock your car on the street? Yeah, but of course it it is on your property. If we say you got to lock your car, and I think it's good policy to do it, but you got to lock your car. All right, then does that mean you have to lock your your front door? You have to lock your back door. And if you don't lock your cars, you know, sh- or your front doors or whatever, should you get a ticket? Do we really want to go that far? Are we really saying okay, crime is so out of control that you know you're going to have to take responsibility and if you don't do it you're going to be eligible to get a ticket i will tell you a real life story and i mean we've had anecdotal things but this goes back guys this goes back to when i worked in the u.s attorney's office at the old federal building 517 east wisconsin avenue one of the guys i worked with made a point now a lot of us had we, we parked in like secured parking lots but every once in a while you know if you're working late or you have to go out during the day or whatever you, you park around the building one of the guys that i worked with made a point of not locking his car door now this is back in the day and I, i'm going back a little bit but it used to be that instead of having like the car stereo built in for example the car stereos a lot of times were like add-ons that you'd have like under the dashboard and things like that well anyhow this one one guy who I worked with, smart guy, good lawyer, he he ended up just leaving his car unlocked because his car had been broken into three separate times. And in all cases, the car door had been locked. Somebody had taken a crowbar or a baseball bat, a five iron, whatever, and had busted out the windows to get in and steal the stuff. My buddy, my colleague, figured Okay, look, if if somebody wants the stuff in my car, they're going to take it. And I mean, and and having having the car door locked isn't going to make any difference one way or the other because they're going to kick in the window. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to leave it unlocked. Now, is that being too tempting? I don't know. But you know, he got sick of you know the five hundred or a thousand dollars that it took to you know replace the damage that was done to the window or the windshield or or whatever. And the people ended up stealing the stereo. Anyways, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. All right, thanks, Jeff. Hi, Todd. Appreciate it. Sure. You know, stealing should be more of a penalty for doing it. Period. I mean, what if you look at grocery stores or stores that get things uh, stolen from their shelves because they're not locked up and they get pocketed. 
what are they supposed to lock everything? It, well, the yeah. The bottom I mean, line is, it's my property. It's my property. You take from me, you suffer the consequence. Now it's just a slap in the hand when they get caught. Right. But, right. And where do you draw the line? Okay. So if I have a if I have a first floor, let let's say it's it's the spring or it's the summer, and I've got a first floor residence, apartment or whatever, and I've got a screen window in and I've got the window up, so I'm getting air through the screen. So if somebody comes along and, you know, kicks out that screen window and, and goes in and steals stuff, is it my fault because, you know, I had the first floor window that was open? Are we really that afraid of crime? I'm with you. Prosecute the bad guys, create the disincentive instead of putting more restrictions and regulations on the law abiding citizens. Yeah, there are consequences to stealing, period. Yeah. And if they want to make it easier for people to, um, you know, you're just you're slapping these guys on the hand. Right. I, I, even someone's got a card over a bunch. Right. Now, thank, thanks. So I, I agree. And, again, I, I think, do I think it is good policy if you're leaving your car outside to leave your car locked? I do. I, I mean, I, I do because, to me, it's, it's going to be a deterrent. Otherwise, it's kind of – it's just too easy. It's almost inviting it. But at the same time, that doesn't excuse the criminal behavior, and I don't think we need laws saying that you have to do it. Here's a couple texts. Jeff, I had a coworker who lived in Detroit. He would not lock his car for the same reason as the guy you worked with, and that is that, hey, if people are going to break in, they're going to break in, and I just as soon let them rummage through the car without – necessarily causing a thousand dollars of damage by forcing their way in jeff enforcing locking doors is ridiculous my car if i'm warming it up it automatically unlocks all the doors when the keys are in the ignition so i have no choice which is why i rarely warm up my car still bad policy telling people what to do with their personal property um yeah i mean see i think you know that that's it. Jeff, telling people they have to lock their home doors is the same concept as telling people they have to bear arms to keep robbers out. And where do you end up, you know, drawing where do you end up drawing the line? I think that's a fair question as well. Good policy? Yeah. Good policy. Advisable? Yes. Deter Again, in some of these neighborhoods where they're probably looking for crimes of opportunity, absolutely. But do we need government to mandate it? Probably not. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I understand why the family is... Apoplectic. All right, there, here, here's the background on this. There is a state Supreme Court race that is going to be on the ballot in April. Now, it's an important race, but at the same time, it's a little less important as a result of what happened last year. Right now, there is a five to two majority of what I would describe as conservative justices. There's five conservative judges, there's two justices, there's two liberal-leaning justices. And it doesn't mean that people can't cross over from time to time. There was this kind of plan that the liberals in the state of Wisconsin had to retake control of, of the court. And it, it all depended last April 
on Lisa Neubauer, who was liberal justice from liberal judge from this area. She was going to be the one that that won. She was going to win the um, Shirley Abramson seat. And then what was going to happen is she would pick up that seat. And then this year, the liberals would pick up another seat. And then they'd suddenly have a four to three majority. Well, Justice Brian Hagedorn kind of threw a wrench into that plans by beating Neubauer by about 6,000 votes, which cemented a conservative majority. The liberals, though, they still want to take back this seat. And this April, there is going to be election an election. Right now, there are three candidates who are running for state Supreme Court. The incumbent Justice Daniel Kelly, who's been on this program before, was appointed by Governor Walker. He is a conservative. There are two liberals. One is a Marquette University law professor, Ed, I think it's Fallone. I don't. I think it's Fallon, not Fallon. I, he, he ran before, got beat like a drum. So he's he's running again. He's not going to get anywhere. The the anointed candidate by the left is a Dane County Circuit Judge named Jill Gorofsky. Right, and um, she's interestingly enough um, on, on paper she looks like the ideal candidate. She's been having a lot of trouble raising money, and her campaign, at least so far, kind of appears to be sort of spinning its wheels. But but she's the liberal anointed candidate to run. Now here's where it gets interesting. She took the bench. She's a Dane County Circuit Judge. Took the bench in 2017, so she hasn't really been on the bench for that long, and. She's been controversial with a number of her sentencings that she's handed down um, and that are perceived to be extremely soft on crime. Now, this might be representative of what people in Dane County want, but nevertheless, it's perceived to be extremely soft on crime. And the case that she's getting all sorts of attention for right now is a sentencing of a guy named Daniel Liske. He's 61 years old. This becomes important in just a minute. Last March, jury in Dane County found Liske guilty of shooting a 21-year-old man named Jesse Faber. He was convicted of first-degree intentional homicide. All right, He shot Faber six times. While Faber was lying on the floor of Liesky's duplex, they'd apparently been drinking together. A number of the shots were like in the guy's back. So he's on the ground and he keeps shooting him. There wasn't any sort of self-defense claim or anything like this. This was cold-blooded murder. After, after murdering the guy, what Liesky and his girlfriend did was they wrapped up the body. They took the corpse, they wrapped it up in garbage bags, and they put it in a storage unit. So they hid the, the body to try to avoid detection, and that really compounded the trauma for the family members. So bottom line is, guy gets convicted of first-degree intentional homicide and also hiding the corpse, stashing the body so he hopefully wouldn't get caught. Gets convicted. The way the law works is this. If you are convicted of first-degree intentional homicide, there is a mandatory life sentence. You, you have to be sentenced to life in prison. But there, there's a but. What the judge can do is they can give you a, different, a number of different options. They can say life in prison without the possibility of parole. They can say life in prison eligible for parole after 20 years. So you have to serve 20 years. Or they can say life in prison eligible for parole somewhere between 20 years and never. So the judges have the ability to set that for this particular crime.
Jill Karofsky in sentencing this guy who murdered the 21-year-old man, multiple shots again in, in the back, hid the corpse. What she decided to do is ignore the recommendations of the Dane County District Attorney's Office, ignore the wishes of the family, and instead of putting the defendant in prison for life without parole, what she did is she said, I am going to impose essentially the least sentence I can. I have to sentence you to life in prison, but I'm going to make you, Mr. Murderer, you are going to be eligible for parole after 20 years. Doesn't mean he's going to get it, but he's going to be eligible for parole. Here's what she says. I know that some of you wanted the maximum sentence in this case, and if I were sitting in your seat, I would want the exact same thing, too. She said, you don't have to like the sentence or agree with the sentence. But my reasoning is that Leesky will be 81 years old at the time that he would be eligible for extended supervision. All right. The mother of the 21-year-old guy who was murdered says, Leesky had no reason for what he did whatsoever. No, he should not get the possibility of parole after 20 years. I don't get to see my son ever again. He should never get to see the light of day. The judge's thinking apparently was, well, he's 61 years old. He's committed a horrendous murder, but I want to give him the opportunity to be released 20 years from now. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, it seems to me that that kind of reasoning is like saying, okay, if, if you're 40 years old and you commit a murder, well, all right, you're you're going to have one sentence. But if you're older, if you're 60 years old, you're going to you can do the same thing and you're going to get a break. I'm going to treat the guy less harshly despite the fact that he took another life willfully with premeditation. I'm going to treat him less harshly because he's 61, not 41 or not 31. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As you might expect, she is getting a lot of criticism for this and for other sentences as well. But I want to talk about this one. Her reasoning is, hey, he's already 61 years old. You know, I, you know, who knows if he's going to make it to 81. I want to give him a chance to get out before he dies. All right. I'm not buying that. Are you? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. number of people are asking what's going on at Waukesha North. Of course, earlier this morning you had the shooting incident at Waukesha South. We've been getting reports for the last 45 minutes to an hour that Waukesha North had been on a lockdown. I, I we, we don't know any of the details except to say that that lockdown has now been lifted. So d- don't know what caused it. Don't know how long it lasted, but the reports I have say that that lockout has now been lifted. You know, we'll bring you more information once we get it. But that's for people who are saying, why aren't you talking about that? That's all we know right now. 414-799-1620, Mark in Kenosha. Hi, Mark. Hey, thanks for having me. What uh, What do you think? I think it's absolutely absurd that the charge can be murder and somehow still they're going to be letting him out before a life sentence. I mean, it doesn't matter whether he's 20, 40, 60, 80. If you're letting him back out, what's going to stop him from killing again? And it's not like this was like an accidental or a manslaughter. No, this was just straight-up murder. Well, it it was. And I guess what, what troubles me is this idea that 
you're going to be able to, I, I, I don't know, this idea that, okay, if you're 40 years old and, and you commit a horrendous murder, you get one sentence. But if you do it when you're 60 years old, you, you get a, a different sentence and you get treated more leniently. And to me, that makes no sense at all. Yeah, and, you know, the only other thing that i got to consider, though, is the fact that since he didn't confess to this, it was everybody else that, that said that he was the one that committed the murder. Wouldn't you just consider that hearsay? Because technically, uh, I heard him say it, so that, that means that it's possible that it wasn't him or that he didn't do it, right? Well, no, no. I mean, well, they, had, they had an extensive trial on this, and, and I don't think there, this is not an issue where there's a, there's a question about the, the guy's the guy's guilt of, of all this. This this was a shooting that it, the, the circumstances and the details are, are long and drawn out, and I'm not sure that it really is worthwhile going into for the, the point we're trying to make. Bottom line of this is that you, you have somebody who was treated less harshly despite committing a horrendous crime simply because he, he was, was older. So you're, you're almost eligible for Social Security, so if you go out and kill, don't worry, we're going to treat you in a different way. And again, to me, that, that makes no sense. Now, there might be certain crimes where you want to take into account the age of the victim and the circumstances behind things and stuff like that. I, I understand that. But when it comes to first-degree intentional homicide seems to me that you have to treat these things severely and yeah this is going to end up being a campaign issue there's other stories like this as well and i think you know moving forward this april what's going to happen is people are going to have to decide do you want a, a dane county liberal justice with their views of things like crime and punishment on the bench or do you want to continue with the conservative majority a lot of liberals think they're going to do really really well in this april election because that's going to be when the presidential primary is and they think there's going to be a huge turnout for that and that will if there's a huge turnout in dane county that will help swamp conservative voters from around the rest of the state i don't know that that's what's going to happen and candidly the more they look into this judge's record i think the less appealing she is going to be to voters in the state of wisconsin just saying this is jeff wagner you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj Well, it's not how I ended up my Thanksgiving. Look, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We went to my stepdaughter's house, and my brother and nephew came, and we had extended family, had a wonderful turkey dinner. After a while, came back home, turned on the Christmas tree, sat with the dog at my feet, read a book, you know. I just just enjoyed a nice, relaxing evening. It was pretty good. Well, bless I was uh, glad I didn't go out to Mayfair Mall. Here's the story. Two ticketed in Thanksgiving night fight at Mayfair Mall after police used stun gun on man. Huh. So whatever your Thanksgiving was, if you got into a fight with, you know, like Aunt Evelyn or Uncle Bob about politics or something, at least at least you didn't end up at Mayfair Mall. Here's the deal. Wauwatosa police used a stun gun on a 20-year-old man Thursday night after a fight at the Mayfair Mall. Video shows a Wauwatosa police officer chasing the man down an escalator with a stun gun, then wrestling him to the ground. Officers were on foot patrol inside the mall about 9 p.m. Thursday. This is, of course, Thanksgiving night, and saw people fighting. Let's go over to Mayfair Mall and get into a brawl. 
Two people involved in the fight got onto the escalator and police followed. Police ticketed the man for resisting arrest. They also ticketed a 24-year-old woman for disorderly conduct who they say was involved in the fight. See, I guess the couple that brawls together stays together. Both people were arrested and released. And this, of course, is one of an ongoing series of problems that they had at Mayfair Mall. In October, you had that fight involving about 100 people. And um, ultimately, you had the Mayfair Mall have to you know, reinstitute its policy of no unaccompanied minors. It looks like if this stuff happens, they're going to have to up the age. Forget no unaccompanied minors. I mean, this is like an 18-year-old and a 24-year-old. Maybe the deal is going to be nobody under the age of 30 or 40 or 50 coming into the mall. I did, what is it? that says, hey, it's Thanksgiving evening. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over to Mayfair Mall and get into a brawl. Huh. Again, just have some more turkey and chill out. That would be the my advice. Okay, here is the deal. Ten years ago, last month, ten years ago, November, so this would be November of 2009, air travel around this area changed dramatically. And actually, the Journal Sentinel had a very interesting story about this the other day. Um, November of 2009 was when Southwest Airlines moved into Milwaukee in a big way. They'd been trying to get Southwest for a number of years, but it began service at Mitchell November of 2009 with 12 daily nonstop departures. Initially, they flew to Baltimore, Kansas City, Vegas, Orlando, Phoenix, and Tampa Bay. We were the 68th city in their system. Um, And by the end of the year, by the end of 2009, the airline had about 8.6% of the Mitchell market. That has, of course, changed dramatically over the year, right over the years. I mean, right now, you know, we are, you know, Southwest is the dominant air carrier at Mitchell Field. Uh, Southwest has about 45% of market share in Milwaukee. So, I mean, almost one out of every two flights that leaves Mitchell is a Southwest flight. There are other flights that service Mitchell, of course, but but Southwest is just completely and totally dominant. Southwest, of course, has a a different business model than some of the other airlines. It's not the super low price thing, but they do their bags fly free. You know, you don't have to pay extra to, to check bags like if you do if you're flying on Delta or United or something like that. In addition, you know, Southwest has this, I I don't know if it's revolutionary, maybe that's an overstatement, but I think if everybody's flown Southwest, you you know, you you can't, you you don't get a pre-board seating assignment. You can't go, if you're booking your flight on the website, you can't go and say, okay, I, I'm looking at a thing on the plane, and I want seats you know, like 12 and 13. You, you can't do that. Southwest, you are assigned a number, and then you kind of line up when they're ready to board the plane. You get on in your number. You can advance it a little bit by paying a bit extra, and then you go and you get to pick out whatever seat you want. It's a completely and totally different way of loading an airplane, and I admit it takes just a little bit of time and maybe a couple trips to get used to. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit, 10 years ago, when Southwest first started coming to Milwaukee in a, in a bigger way, I was a little bit skeptical. How is this going to work? You're not going to have assigned seats. Is it going to be a cattle call? You know, how's it going to work? I will tell you, 10 years later, 
I absolutely love Southwest Airlines, and it is my go-to airline of choice. I like the fact that you can take luggage and not have to pay extra for it. I like the fact that they've got non, that they really service Mitchell and most of the places that I want to go. You, you can fly nonstop out of and back to Mitchell. I love that. I've gotten used to the, you know, boarding without the seat assignments. And once you understand how the system works, I've never, ever, ever had problems getting a decent seat. In other words, um, I absolutely love Southwest and go out of my way to fly Southwest. And I wouldn't have said that 10 years ago. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, for those of you who fly and fly, you know, more than occasionally, Southwest Airlines, have have you brought been brought on board? Do you love the airlines? Do you like the airlines? It's a different kind of business model, but you know, would you choose them over other airlines? My answer is, yeah. I mean, I I go to the Southwest website first before I go to Delta or some of the others. I've gotten used to it and I love it. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jeff could not agree more about Southwest. I fly nine to ten ten times each year for work, so I'm not worried about price. And I always try to fly Southwest because they are the easiest to work with. If any issues come up, and the customer service both on and off the plane is just the best. That's from Josh and Cedarburg. You know, one of the other things that they started doing that I like a lot is you've got the, the self serve kiosks, and they've got a ton of those at at the airport. They've got them at Mitchell. They've got them at other places too. So I mean, typically what will happen is I'll have my boarding pass that I printed up. You just go there you put in your boarding pass number it's really easy i mean it's kind of like computer for dummies because i'm that dummy and then what you do is you how many bags you want you know it issues the things you put the tag on you drop them off no waiting in line boom you're on your way i I mean i think look air travel isn't a lot of fun anymore i freely understand that but I, i think southwest does as good a job as possible of minimizing the inconvenience lynn in greendale lynn you're on wtmj hello Oh, hi. I just wanted to concur with you, Jeff. I think that they're very easy to use. Um, I think the thing that about being friendly is what I wanted to comment on. Their, their staff is extremely service-oriented, and I find their stewardesses humorous. They sing happy birthday to people on the plane, and they do make it fun to travel. So I would completely agree with you. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. Again, I mean, and I, I think their, their business model ends up working. And and I will tell you, for a lot of people, that that bags fly free is is a huge is a huge thing. I, matter of fact, I almost always kind of forget it. Or next in February, we're, we're doing a trip and we're we're flying southwest to Orlando. I'm not to Orlando, southwest to Fort Myers, and we're going to be in that area for a couple of days, and then we're going to take the ferry over to Key West, and then we're going to fly Delta home because um, Delta is the one that flies into Key West, and it's just it's kind of like night and day going through the the different hoops, looking at the different planes. And I'm not necessarily anti-Delta, but I I am very pro. Southwest. Jeff, I was the same as you, but it didn't take long before I loved Southwest. Recently, we had to fly Delta, and it seemed like it took forever to load the plane with all the different classes of flyers. I did have a reserve seat, so there was no stress in waiting. Yeah, but the stress is when you have to pay whatever it is, the 15 bucks extra to, to have a bag or to have two bags. Let's talk to Scott, who is calling us from New Hampshire. Hi, Scott. 
Hi, yeah, I just got off a uh, Southwest plane here in New Hampshire, ironically. Uh, I fly every week, you know, and um, I now live in St. Louis. I used to live in Wisconsin. And to give you an idea, I used to drive to Chicago down to Midway to fly Southwest. And the reason I choose Southwest is because I'm always on a 737. I know exactly what I'm going to get. I know my bags are good. I know they'll go on with me. And if I have to check... It doesn't cost me any extra. Yeah. Plus, I've earned companion pass, so I love Southwest. Right, absolutely. So you travel, you fly a lot, huh, Scott? Every week I'm on an airplane. Got it. Hey, you're you're in New Hampshire. They have snow on the ground now? Uh, Yeah, a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Okay. Well, well, Scott, thanks for listening, and you be sure and travel safe. Yeah, that's safely. That's it. Um, Okay, let's go back to the test. Jeff, Southwest is the best. It mostly filled the vacuum created by Midwest's departure, and who can argue with two free bags up to 50 pounds? Um, Yeah, and then he goes on to say, I use my phone to access tickets at the kiosk. Yeah, I'm... I'm not quite there yet, and, and I understand. I understand that that that's the the last step. I understand nowadays that everybody gets their tickets on their phone and just puts it up there and does that. I, I'm not quite there. I still I still print out the hard copies of the boarding pass like 24 hours in advance, and so I I still have that hard copy. And I understand. I understand that I'm st- I'm kind of a dinosaur with regard to that, but but I'm I'm still kind of like you know, hanging on. Um, okay, Jeff, I like Southwest, but there are so many pre-board groups and premium members who pay for higher up boarding number that even if you check in online, the absolute minute the entire check-in starts, you're way in the back of the B boarding group. Fortunately, last time we flew, my wife was in an ankle boot and they gave us a pre-board. Otherwise, I'm not sure we would have sat together. Well, what I always do is I, I, I admit that I, I just, I, I want it to be easy. So what I typically will do is I'll pay whatever that is, the 15 or $20 fee they have for the early bird upgrade. And that way, pretty much worst case scenario is you're going to be at the end of the A group. So you'll be one of the first 50 or 60 people on the plane. But I, I just, I remember, matter of fact, we would do topics when Southwest was, was coming in 10 years ago. And there were a lot of people who just simply weren't used to you know what was going on, and they weren't used to the whole idea of of not having the reserve seats. And is Southwest going to be this kind of crummy discount airline? And are they going to be late and all? And the truth of the matter is, um, I think Southwest has been great. All right. Speaking of airlines, a- as we approach the end of 2019, I want to send an alarm to everybody who is going to be traveling after October of 2020. And that is, real ID is coming. Ready or not, it, it is going to be here. So what's what's real ID? All right, real ID is a special type of driver's license that you can now get in Wisconsin. Um, you, you've got to go to the DMV. You have to produce... All sorts of information. I, I mean, I guess I think you need to have, if you've got a passport, you got to have the passport. You might need your Social Security card. You might need your birth certificate. There's all sorts of different requirements to get it the first time. But it's a special license. It's got a special imprint at the top in the top right-hand corner. So real ID is going to be necessary to get on domestic flights starting in October. And if you don't have it, you ain't getting on the flight.
That's just the reality. Now, there's things that you can do instead. You can have a passport. Now, for example, I I typically, even domestically, I travel with my passport. So you show the passport, and, and you can get on instead. So you, you, you don't need real ID, don't need your driver's license if you've got your passport. In addition, if you are, um, like, if you have TSA pre-check or global entry, which is what I recommend, it's 100 bucks. It's this thing that lets you short-circuit the lines coming into custom, and and it serves as TSA pre-check, that's also good for the real ID. But you have to get it. It takes a month or two, sometimes maybe longer to get. But the bottom line of this is it's coming in October and you're going to and you're going to need it. So do not delay. Do not be surprised if you wait till July and you go, oh, my God, I, I'm, I've got a trip that's coming up and I don't have this identification that I need and I don't have a passport. Well, you know, be prepared to be in a little bit of trouble. So real ID, that's going to be one of the messages for 2020. You need it if you're going to fly. If you're unsure whether you have it or not, chances are you probably don't. you got to get it. Don't get stranded. All right. Let's go to Eric Bilstead. Breaking news? I have breaking news, Jeff, and you're not going to like it. So long, Moose. Mike Moustakis has signed with the Cincinnati Reds. Four years, $64 million per ESPN. Mike Moustakis, no longer a brewery. Apparently, he'll play second base for the Cincinnati Reds for the next four years. Okay, so here's the question. Is there going to be anybody left? I mean, on the Brewers. I mean, seriously, you, Moustakis, gone. Grandal, gone. Chase Anderson, gone. Eric Thames, probably gone. Mm-hmm. They cut him. Yep, yep. By 7 o'clock tonight, they've got like six or seven players that are arbitration eligible, and a handful of those will probably not be tendered and will be gone. Sure. It, it seems, at least so far, the Brewers' strategy has been addition by subtraction, you would think. Yeah, well, but remember, I mean, Moustakis isn't a young pup anymore. Grindall is older also. Uh, yeah, so uh, Grindall, right now, Grindall, uh, it was a $72 million deal, four years. That's crazy money for him. I, I agree. Moustakis, he said $64 million, so... Um, 64, four years, still, he's 31. It's $15 million. Well, the question's going to become, they got nobody to catch. They got nobody to play first base. They got nobody to play third base. They traded their, you know, number four outfielder and... Starting pitching is a bit of an issue, so you kind of wonder what the plan. But on the other hand, <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying. I, okay, I, just saying. They they've just you know, started. They, you've gone through it. They, they've gotten rid of a lot. Now at the same time, they've saved a whole bunch of money. So they're yeah, sitting on yeah. a whole bunch of money, and you would hope that. Well, they recognize that there's a limited, you know, Christian Yelich is probably only going to be here for a couple more years before he takes really stupid money and leaves. So they got a window. Hopefully, they will. Um, Hopefully, they'll, they'll spend that money. I'm sorry to see Moustakis go. We'll be back with more in just a minute. We'll find out what John has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.